But if I, if I go back to like when the trip started, there, there were quite a few times I was on different job sites and I was tempted to send in my resume, fill out the application. So I'm still like kind of quietly thinking in the back of my head, what am I going to do afterwards? And, you know, resisted that urge because I made a commitment. It's like, I'm not working right now. I'm traveling. I'm, I'm kind of doing my thing. And, you know, a few months later down the road, like that temptation was gone. Hi, and welcome to the Venture Life Podcast the show where we talk about the ups and the downs that come along with chasing your dreams, pursuing your passion, and trying to live life like a story worth sharing. I'm your host, Riley McGee, and this is episode number 11 with Blaine DeLuca. Welcome back to the show if you've been around and listening for a while, and for those that are first-time listeners, thank you for joining us. No matter if you are a first-time listener or a seasoned Venture Life vet, uh, please Let us know what you think of the show by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. It really does make a big difference in helping others to connect and follow along with what we're doing here. Now, before every episode begins, there's just a little bit of conversation that you as a listener don't typically get to hear. And usually it's just some small talk or, you know, while we're getting things set up. But this time with Blaine, it was was a little bit different. So I actually want to play a little snippet for you from Blaine and I talking right before we went live. Here it is. All I want to get into at the end is like, like I guess the uh, the message or moral of the stories. You know, follow your passions, be happy, don't be scared to make the scary choices. That little comment is what set the tone for this episode and also eventually became the title. Throughout our conversation, Blaine talks about his values, his passions, and some of his highlights from what wound up being a 319-day trip to go travel the world. It was a big decision for him to leave what otherwise sounded like a solid corporate career, but as you'll hear, Blaine decided to take the leap and was able to share his story with us. So let's get started. Blaine, welcome to the show. I'm excited. (laughs) How are you doing today, man? I've uh, been a busy morning. I'm uh, doing some contract work this week, but glad to take a little break. Yeah, so Blaine's uh, calling in for the show from Las Vegas. Is that right? Yeah, Las Vegas this week at least. <laughs> this week at least, yeah. Uh, and as as you'll hear, there is plenty of um, uncertainty when it comes to where what location Blaine is actually in, um, <laughs> because especially in the last the last year, I guess, which is actually kind of about where I want to dive in. Um, I I know I like to spend some time on telling people stories, but you have so much to unpack in such a, honestly, a short amount of time. You really, like, your whole last year could be turned into, like, a movie or something, I I feel like. So I'm I'm ready to sign the contract. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see if we can, if there's anybody, any producers out there, um, let us know. Reach out. (laughs) <laughs> I'll make sure yeah make sure all the contact info is in the show notes for you but so I guess w- where I want to start is kind of the transition into what that year um, wound up being because you your so your background you were in the corporate world um, can you actually can you just kind of recap sort of what you were doing before what you're doing now and and you know where you were working what you were doing yeah, um, pretty pretty traditional path I would say so I uh, went to college for engineering and you know, like, like a responsible <laughs> graduating student, um, kind of looking at that, that career path. And, you know, in my mind, I was like, how do I get to the top? And that, that's all that was in my head for the first several years. So 
I kind of bounced around various roles and responsibilities, a few different locations throughout the U.S. during my first, I'd say, about seven years in the corporate world. Um, Ultimately landed in Las Vegas for a job. I spent about three years in that role. Uh, At that point, I was kind of outside my uh, previous, like, just truly engineering uh, responsibilities. Um, Moved more into people management, which kind of opens your eyes when you're doing more, like, you know, leadership style stuff rather than just technical work. And it was sometime during that role that I kind of developed this idea for maybe a a change in pace. So that, that, that change in pace. So, I mean, you were, you know, engineering uh, into the corporate world in a leadership position. Some people might even say, even at that early age, you know, they might say, oh, you made it. Like you're doing everything. Like life seems great. But you said that you, it seemed like you started thinking less and less about your career and more about what's, what else is out there, what's important in life. Or kind of, can you kind of walk us through that shift, like in your thinking? Was there something that happened? Like what, what was the trigger for you? It was, it was a lot of stuff. So I guess like thinking about getting into that management role, I had a pretty large team working for me. And I think it ultimately made me become more in tune with those values that were most important to me. I, I kind of reached a point where it felt like I was less, I was working less for the company and I was working more for all the people that w- reported into me. Like I, w- I was just so in tune and so excited to like see their development, see what they could do with themselves and help them get to the next step. Um, I derived a ton of happiness from that. Um, so then on a more personal level, I think like, I was like, all right, I'm working towards all this, uh, development and opportunity and happiness for these other folks. How do I, what should I be doing to prioritize that more for myself? And I had in the back of my head is like, you know, as as much as I love working, as much as I have these aspirations to kind of keep climbing the the so-called ladder, um, what's going to make me happier? Where, where else could I go do this? And you know, I started flirting around with this idea of walking away from work and just spending some time traveling, go experience other cultures, kind of do these same things uh, with, you know, working with people and helping people and doing doing whatever else, but um, on a completely personal level. And, you know, most, most terrifying decision imaginable, I think, at that time to be saying, you know, should I walk away from everything I've been working towards for all these years? And I, I think there were a lot of nudges along the way to, to make that decision. But I, I'd say what was what was the true catalyst was right around that time I, I lost my best friend in a, in a motorcycle accident. And, you know, reality just came like pounding down on me at that point. And that, that's when I had like this real uh, deep conversation with myself. It's like, all right, I've been talking about this for long enough. Either do it or quit talking about it and, and refocus. And I, I can remember making that decision internally and, you know, that, that had an impact. Uh, but then it was that day at work finally arrived where I'm sitting in the conference room by myself, pacing back and forth and called HR and actually made the declaration saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to resign. And, you know, it was, it was a, a lengthy conversation trying to explain like um, everything behind it. But um what, what was great is the company was 100% supportive, super excited about the idea. It's like at that point when I said it aloud and made it official, it was like this whole, this whole weight was off my shoulders. Like I instantly felt so much more excited, so much happier to finally like follow through. How amazing is that? That you, you felt 
you felt that weight lifted. I'd imagine that some people, as soon as they, you know, they hit the door, they're, they're, they're free. They're gone. They're, you know, they're uh, out of the nine to five. It probably, it can feel really scary. And like all of a sudden the, like the pressure's on. Did, did you have any of those feelings at all? Yeah, I think all beforehand, it was one of the things that really held me back. So I'm sitting there, it's like if I walk away and I'm out of out of the game for, say, a year, because in, in my head, at least that's how long this trip could last, is like if I'm out of the game for a year, am I going to be able to get a job when I get back? Am I going to have to take a couple of steps backward before I can move forward? I had like all these doubts, but as soon as I announced my resignation, that went from my top priority to the very bottom of the list. Like it didn't concern me the least little bit which really caught me off guard, I think. Yeah, I, it sounds like that just happened uh, naturally. 100%. And it, and it happened in an instant. Like, it, it wasn't this evolution. Like, as soon as I said aloud I was resigning, like, instantly, like, my there was a huge mindset shift. Why do you think that happened for you? I, I, I think it's because I finally admitted to myself, like, what I wanted to go do, and I was actually going through with it. You know, what, up until this point, it was, you know, graduate college, go work, be responsible, kind of keep, keep stepping down that path. And, you know, I finally did what I'd been scared to do for so long, but it was, it was genuinely what I wanted to be doing. So that's why I think I had that, uh, that change happen all at once. It sounds like there's something powerful in admitting to yourself what your heart is really yearning for. If I could put it in those, those words. Yeah. And it's a weird way to put it, like admitting to yourself, I guess. Um, but that that's exactly what it was because every person you've ever had a conversation with, they, they've all kind of got these these desires that almost feel out of grasp. Um, but when you actually think about like what restrictions are actually preventing you from doing that, well, they're 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 not too difficult to pass. And I, I think that's what I finally got to is like the only thing stopping me from this decision was me. So the, the, the decision is, that's a big part or it's a big obstacle, I guess, challenge maybe for, for people. And so I want to dig in just a little bit into that. And so I have two questions on it. And the first is, can you give us an example of what one of those, one of the, I don't know if it's a doubt or a thought or what, when you use the word restriction, like, what do you mean by that? What's something that came up for you or that maybe someone else is dealing with? Um, I, I think at the very top of the list, it was this whole uh, career thing. You know, like you, you put every ounce in, into your, your being to like do well in this career of yours. You know, um, I, I couldn't tell you how many 60, 80, even 100 hour weeks I had worked o- over the time. And, and it's like all towards, you know, making it to that next promotion. So that that's definitely what was, I think, the biggest restriction for me or what, what was holding me back, at least. And I think when I finally uh, like stepped away from the idea of, you know, maybe, maybe there's a temporary pause while I go travel, but there, there's going to be more on the other side. I don't know exactly what it's going to be just yet, but there's going to be something on the other side. And I think once I kind of came to terms with that, um, that, that was incredibly helpful. And then may, maybe the other big part was uh, the, the financial decision. So, you know, I had to come to terms with, you know, no paycheck for the next year, almost 100%. Like, I didn't have a whole lot of passive income, so I was going to be relying uh, more or less on savings to go through through all this. So, it's like, do I have the right amount of savings? Am I going to have the right amount when I get back to where I can float until who knows what kind of job prospects are put in front of me? Um, financially, I, I, I think I almost tried to bury myself <laughs> Like didn't want to like uh, think there was a solution, but you know now now that I'm back in the U.S., like it wound up being so much 
cheaper even than, than I could have hoped for. And, you know, financially, uh, I, I still feel like I'm in a good spot. That's amazing to hear because I, I think that's something, I mean, honestly, even me, that's something that I think uh, I'll admit that holds me up from traveling more as you think about the fine, you know, how much it costs to, to travel and this and like plane tickets. And even um, I had a conversation with some people that live in, in London recently, and we were talking about how much cheaper the flights are there compared to in, in the U.S., how much it costs. I mean, so I, I think, I feel like uh, there's just information from every which way that's telling you how expensive it is and luxurious to travel and this and that. But it sounds like, which I know we'll get more into, you, you figured out some ways to, to lessen that cost. But the, the, the follow-up question that I had too was just to clarify, to make it really practical for people listening, what, what was it in particular that you were choosing to prioritize when you made that decision that day that you admitted not just to yourself out loud, but to, to your company, your employer, uh, that you were going to be leaving and moving on to whatever your other priorities were? Yeah, I think there's definitely a selfish element to it. Like I just wanted to go see some stuff around the world. So there, it was just truly have some fun. So call, call it selfish, call it not. I, I, I don't know. But um, the other part was just wanting to like, like think about what fueled me around around happiness and helping people like figuring out what how could I go do that around the world as well so you know I'll get I'll get into it later but between helping uh, at animal sanctuaries or going to orphanages stuff like that um, I was definitely be able to um, kind of meet that goal from country to country well I mean let, let's let's talk about that now because it sounds like there's there's lots of planning probably or I would think I mean how, I should ask you how much how much planning was involved in in this figuring out this whole this whole trip very, very little. <laughs> like, so I, I guess I went, uh, I started the trip, you got, got everything buttoned up in the U.S. And I, I gotta say, like, preparing to leave your home, because I, I own a home in Las Vegas, which I, you know, I rented out, had everything uh, settled, but to leave your home on a one-way ticket with no real plan, is pretty unsettling to start with, because, you know, it's a, it's a brand new feeling you never experienced. But I, I started the trip in um, New Zealand. And I mean, e even, even in New Zealand, absolutely no plan at all, uh, landed and was like, all right, we'll just take the first bus wherever it's going. And that, that's exactly what wound up happening. So you were gone, you were gone for a total of 319 days, 319, yeah. 319 days. You left Las Vegas on a one way, one way trip, one way plane ticket to New Zealand. And when you say, <laughs> when you say that there is very little planning, was there, did you have like there had to be something you had some idea of where you were going to go or what you were going to bring or i mean like how did you what what were you thinking about in preparation for like right before you left uh, i guess like first and foremost i'm not a planner like and that's true in every realm of life, my life and i know that terrifies people but <laughs> for those diehard planners like I, I think you'll be able to find some excitement in how i approach this but you know, basically I wanted to be ultra mobile. So for the trip, I just had one backpack. So it was about 25 pounds. I had several changes of clothes, like sleeping bag and hammock, not knowing if I was going to be doing some camping, uh, have my laptop with me. But um, I was I was very precise in what I brought so that I could be as mobile as I wanted to be. Um, but, it, you know, with that level of uncertainty, uh, with that uh, little planning, like it makes you, it makes you able to be that much more opportunistic when things are presented to you. So where I say I left for New Zealand with no plan at all, 
uh, landed, got on that bus and I was checking emails and turns out a, a formal colleague of mine said, Hey, I have a friend I met in Europe who now lives in Auckland. Uh, they live not far from city center. They said, give them a call up and they got a place for you to stay. And that, you know, like, perfect. That's what I'll do. So I got in touch with them when I had some Wi-Fi. they told me what train, what buses to take. I got to their place and it was like we had known each other forever. Like welcomed us right into their house. Um, wound up staying there like six or seven nights, I think. Uh, helped us, they, uh, the two of them that we were with, helped us uh, lay out like a huge itinerary for all of New Zealand. Originally, I was thinking I'd only stay in New Zealand for maybe uh, two to three weeks. I'm like, no, 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 you need to stay four to six. It's like, well, if that's what you say, then that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, helped us with uh, two big tourist maps for the North and South Island, tons of notes wow. for every way. And it, it was perfect. But the only reason I even got that opportunity was uh, the lack of planning. <laughs> Show up and face whatever is put in front of you. Serendipity maybe is the, the word that comes to mind. That is just, I mean, it's, I'm kind of shocked because if I were to try to tackle something like that myself, this three, well, actually you didn't even know. I, it sounds like at the time you, you didn't know what, um, how long you would actually be gone for. I know I heard you say you kind of expected maybe a year ish, something like that. Yeah. Year, year ish was, that's the best way to put it. You know, like I had my, I had my budget. Well, here for the, for the sake of transparency, uh, we'll, we'll put all this out there. So 319 days, flights, donations, like charitable donations, everything else. Plus some, there was one return trip back to America to surprise my dad for his 60th birthday. And then I went back to Asia. So lots of extra money and flights. And still in those 319 days, I spent $16,000, uh, just, just a few bucks over 16,000. And that was a versus a budget of about of 20,000. So when I said I was leaving for a year, um, kind of based on the research I'd done, 20 grand would have done it. Uh, but what I want to say was, you know, let, let's be prepared for it to cost more than anticipated for who knows what reasons. Let's be prepared to stay out for another several months in case I'm <laughs> really loving life. Um, so it had kind of like all these other contingency plans, but, you know, 20 grand, that, that, that was the plan for the year. All right. So now that we're digging a little bit deeper, <clears throat> there was a little bit of research or a little bit, of <laughs> a little bit of thought that went into it, at least from the money perspective, um, or the money side of things. And that 16,000, I mean, I, I feel like you see, I don't know, commercials or, or infographics or whatever for people going to vacation for a week or, or a cruise or something, a 10 day cruise that, that costs, you know, like half that or a quarter of that. It's like, you can blow that money so much faster. How did you, how did you make that money stretch for that long? Uh, it really depended on the country. So starting the first, uh, I guess, about a little over two months in Australia and New Zealand, um, obviously expensive countries to visit. Um, so there it it required a lot more diligence. So instead of going to restaurants, it was, you know, go to the supermarket at 1030 at night. The rotisserie chickens were marked down to $1.50, get, <laughs> get a loaf of bread that was marked down and off you went. There's a lot of <laughs> car camping and rental cars. Um, and you learn to be more resourceful too, and it's especially for transportation because in so many countries, transportation is one of the higher expenses. So, uh, Australia, for for instance, going up and down the East Coast, you see all these camper vans and motorhomes, and I was like, man, I, I know a lot of these people are 
driving from one city to the other and then flying out of that other city. So there's got to be an imbalance of uh, inventory for all these RVs, right? And, you know, did, did a little sleuthing on Google and sure enough, found a few different companies that did relocation services, which meant I could get a free RV uh, from, say, Sydney to Brisbane. I get four days to drive it there. They pay for my gas, even give a food stipend in some cases. And, you know, all of a sudden, no more transportation fees. And so it's little things like that, depending on where you're at, you can find some kind of deal to offset what tends to be where you spend a lot of your money. I'm, 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 I'm impressed. I think that's the, (laughs) that's all I really have to say about it. I mean, there's, (laughs) there's, there's so much, you know, it'd be interesting is to know what your actual expenses were versus how much you actually paid for the like like what your gas was and the food and all those little little tricks that you wound up uncovering and using yeah i didn't didn't even think about doing that along the way so i guess kind of coming back to the you know the analytical engineering part of me all i I kept very detailed uh spreadsheets on throughout the entire trip so i know like by country how much i spent by day and whether it was on transportation lodging food or whatever else um one, one part just for, for my own self, because I, I wanted to know, had that natural curiosity, but I've also shared it with a lot of folks that have kind of considered doing similar, similar trips. And, you know, that helps uh, create a little bit of sense of relaxation uh, when, you, when you know what to anticipate from one place to the next. How many places did you wind up going to, to, to visit? You know, I, I had this long, extravagant plan, like this map around the planet all worked out. I, I think I only wound up going to 11 countries in a year. And what, what it came down to is I, I, I think I got, what's the best way to say it? I got, I got better at traveling and, and it made me want to be more, even more immersed in the cultures than, than I was used to on previous trips. So, you know, you're, you're so used to going out of town, even if you're lucky, you get to do a two week vacation, you're blasting from one spot to the next, going as fast as you can from point A to point B. And you wind up missing out on a lot of what's going on around oh, you. Yeah. But what I found, even from the very first country, is like I just wanted to kind of go see every square inch and be able to take the time, sit and talk to people, um, actually even relax from time to time. If it was a rainy day and I just wanted to hit, sit in a hostel and watch Netflix all day, I could. <laughs> like not having the constraint of time was super helpful. So, you know, definitely didn't see the whole world, but saw uh, a lot of parts of quite a few countries that very few tourists ever take the time to go to. So you spend most of your time in uh, kind of the Pacific, like New Zealand, Australia. I think you were in Vietnam, Cambodia. Were you in Thailand as well? Yep. Uh, Japan, I think you spent some time in. Yeah, Japan was incredible. Um, a little out of the way to get to versus all those other locations. But what I'll, what I'll say about Japan is, first of all, if you ever go visit, make sure to uh, watch some YouTube videos on Japanese etiquette. <laughs> there, it's an incredible, incredibly polite country, and it is for that and a few other reasons. I think it's one of the coolest cultures I've ever experienced in my life. So, I uh, highly recommend Japan for anybody considering it. It must be really, really polite coming from because Blaine, I know you to be a pretty uh, polite and conscientious individual, and then also <laughs> knowing that you grew up in the South, which I have some family yeah, from, yeah. and knowing how. Um, uh, the, there's gotta be a word for it, but that Southern charm, polite kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that way of life. But also, I mean, to be able to have the time, it sounds like that was really, uh, that really made it extra, like extra special for you to be able to 
when you talk about immersing yourself in the culture versus being just like rocketed around from one place to the other. I mean, I, I know I've come back from vacations or just like little short road trips, even uh, here in the U S that, that I'm like, it was supposed to be a vacation to like get some, you know, R and R and, and recharge a little bit. And you feel more exhausted when you get back than before you left. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm definitely uh, guilty of that on basically every, every vacation I've ever been on. I'm, I'm haven't been known to be a person that prioritizes sleep. I'm one of those like four to five hour a night kind of people. So when I'm on vacation, <laughs> I'd, I'd stick to that same schedule and I'm like basically trying to get, I uh, see whatever I can in the short amount of time I'm there. But yeah, this was, this was definitely different. Let's go around. Well, so when we, to kind of backtrack a second, um, you, when we were talking about your priorities, you said, number one, there was kind of that selfish, like, I just want to have fun. Like this is something that kind of sounded cool or exciting, but also you talked about, um, how important it was to like to, to, to just help others basically. And, and I know you mentioned just a couple of times, some charitable work and what was that side of the trip? Kind of like, how did you, how did you get involved in helping others? And, and what were those, some stories uh, connected to that? Um, it, it, it's, Pretty, pretty organic in how they arise. Um, you know, when, when you're looking for that sort of stuff, like you can always find opportunities. I mean, um, this past Christmas, for instance, I was in uh, Vietnam. And so the day before, uh, canvassed the city for some orphanages, went and talked to some officials there, found out how many kids, what ages were around. And then, you know, just went, went to the toy store that night and showed up Christmas morning at the orphanage, sat and played with the kids for probably two two hours or so. And since that wasn't enough, wound up going back the next day to do, do it again. That was my last day in that city. Otherwise, I think I'd probably wound up going back every day. Um, you know, re- really diverse uh, ecosystems all throughout Southeast Asia. And I guess I should mention, I spent about six months in Southeast Asia. That's kind of where I got stuck for a little bit. Um, but with the ecosystems, you get some some really cool animals. And me being a huge animal person, uh, volunteered at a, an elephant sanctuary, at an orangutan sanctuary. Um, but th- that, that kind of stuff was all over the place. Um, I'd say the, the other kind of evolution that happened is, you know, at the very beginning of the trip, uh, get to campgrounds or hostels or whatever, and you're talking to people that have been out doing it for a little bit, so they kind of give you key pieces of advice. But, you know, fast forward several months after that, it was cool to be like, the, the veteran of the group, you go to a hostel and everybody's like soliciting advice from you because they're just getting going on all their adventures. Plus, I'm, I'm 31 versus you know, a lot of these places. It's these uh, European kids that are just doing their gap year. So they might be like 22, 23 be the average age. <laughs> so that connection, the, the, the networking, I guess, almost in kind of like a non-career sense, um, you were kind of building up your, your travel network and sharing information, collecting information. Oh, big time. Yeah. And I've got probably more people than I can count, like saved uh, to my contacts, Facebook, Instagram, you name it. So I, I feel pretty comfortable that just about any country I went to now, I could find somebody I know living there. Yeah, that is super cool. I, I, I think it's one of the, the huge, probably like one of those benefits that you wouldn't really think about uh, before going on a trip like that. But um, definitely is, is very real. And, and, and so is all the, <clears throat> I wanted to kind of just acknowledge you, I guess, for all the work that you have done. Cause I remember kind of following along. It wasn't too often that we got to connect while you were, while you were away, um, you know, um, from Wi-Fi <laughs> and the, the, the rest of civilization. 
uh, depending on where you were. Uh, I know you went to a lot of national parks, saw a lot of natural beauty, uh, but you did do a lot of that work. And I, I, there's one video that stands out to me. I don't know if anyone would be able to find it, or maybe we can link it up in the show notes if that's possible. So I'm not even sure where I saw it, but the video of you carrying, I think groceries for like a monastery, oh, yeah. just sweating your ass off, climbing <laughs> these stairs in God knows what country, but the humidity had to be hundred percent. Oh yeah. I remember that day vividly. It was in a Northern Thailand and this was another like no planning at all day. Like I woke up that morning, had some breakfast and I was like, Oh, I want to go just ride around. So I went and rented a scooter and just, I was kind of just driving along the the North side through this big national parks, saw some just beautiful sights. And then coming back, I was looking on my map and saw all, all it said on there was, um, monastery with a with a viewpoint something like that I got time why not so I pull in and I, I go up to the top check out everything and then I'm walking back down and it, it, if I remember right it's somewhere around 600 stairs to get to up to the viewpoint and when I come back down I see a big van backed up with a lot of groceries and through some uh, pointing and a little bit of Google Translate I was able to ask if uh, they needed some help to which they of course said yes. Um, so that began, I think it was either like six or seven trips up to the top with anywhere from about 30 to 60 pounds on my shoulder. And yeah, hundred percent humid. <laughs> like it was super warm and it had just rained and I was drenched from like top to bottom <laughs> by the time it was done. But it was nice. Like the, the, the folks working up top, like had me sit down in their little, uh, I guess like cafeteria area, gave me some, uh, some coffee to recharge me a little bit. Cause I had a couple hour drive to get back to the hostel that night. But, um, that, that one I'll definitely remember because especially at the end, like they're, um, in some broken English, they're able to tell me, thank you. Oh, it's amazing. I- what they said but man they, they put a big smile on my face I, it, it stood out to me for sure i mean having it that's why i remember it uh watching that little clip of, <laughs> i think of you in the middle of stairs uh but you know it's amazing listening to you talk about that, that these these little moments like how just like how uh, just genuine I, th- I think that's what I'm looking for, how genuine they, they are and how like you, they all seem to happen so organically. And I think it honestly, I think part of it speaks to your character and who you are uh, and the kind of person that you strive to be. But also, I think that something that as I'm listening to you tell these like there's we could probably spend, you know, all day. I'm sure you have tons of these little mm-hmm. stories, which, you know, we, we can't get to all of them. But uh, it seems like when you have when you give yourself the time to actually be able to kind of <laughs> stop and smell the roses for uh, lack of better words. That's when all these things, all these opportunities open up at, at least during your travels. That's what it, it kind of seems like. That's what I'm gathering is that the fact that you didn't have that time constraint, like you said, really is what enabled you to be able to engage in all these little, these little moments that these little memories that you'll probably cherish for years to come. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, like the the people you meet, like it, it make it makes for some really cool stories. I mean, there was uh, one person from uh, I met in Tokyo. She lived in northern Thailand, so she's like, "If you make it that way, let me know." And you know, when I made it to northern Thailand, we met up. Uh, met someone else in Bangkok who she lived in Singapore, and same same things. Like, if you ever make it to Singapore, let me know. Uh, we made it to Singapore, and we we. Uh, hung out for a couple of days there too and like it's one story after another like that where you know these people you meet just 
um, rather haphazardly uh, wound up being people we keep up with. I, I still keep up with even today. Ah, that is just incredible. It's it's so awesome to hear that. Uh, but one one thing you did mention too that I want to spend uh, at least a, a minute on is uh, you talked about your love for animals and for people who don't follow, they should. I think uh, it's I think it, the the handle if I know off the top of my head is just Penny Dog. Uh, yeah. Is that right? Penny, yeah, Penny Dog on, on yeah. Instagram. And so Blaine has, I think, what is she, a six-year-old? Uh, somewhere between six and seven, not really sure. Okay, at the, so at the time of this recording, she's around that six to seven uh, age. Um, what is it, May now? May 2019. And she is a, a rescued uh, pit. Is she 100%? Or is she a mix? According to her paperwork, she's a <laughs> It looks like she's just mixed with a pit. <laughs> so if anyone if anyone goes to this page, they'll see uh, just how adventurous Blaine is in taking uh, Penny all over the place and climbing and hiking and just all. I mean, has she been skydiving yet? Or <laughs> no, not not yet. I, I do know of uh, one, one guy that takes his dog skydiving, but that dog weighs about eight pounds, not 60 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It might be a little easier to manage. Well, so actually, so can you tell us a little bit uh, about Penny? Yeah. Uh, Penny I've had almost five years now. Uh, I was, I was originally, you know, I guess rewinding a little more, uh, you know, kind of going back to that traditional thought of I got to work my way up the corporate ladder. I got to be mobile. I got to be ready to work as many hours as possible. You know, I talked myself out of getting a dog for a long time. And then one day I finally admitted, it's like, even if I'm not here all the time, even if I got to work a few uh, extra hours, like this dog's still going to have a better life with me than, than she would with 99% of other owners. So that, that kind of kicked off a, what wound up being about a six month journey to find a dog. Um, I was after like a very uh, particular personality, I guess, because I wanted to be able to take my dog to like, I was volunteering a lot, um, like at old folks homes. Um, had, I had a couple of boys I was mentoring at the time, uh, but be able to bring the dog to like various volunteer activities. So uh, looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I, I reach out to a few different rescue groups, um, ultimately get denied several times because they don't think I'll be a good owner. You know, spitefully, I wish I knew who they were so I could go back and say, hey, look at us now. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I want to say it was the fifth or sixth uh, rescue group I reached out to were the ones that had Penny. And she's got she's got an awful backstory. She was locked in the basement of a drug house, abused pretty bad in the, in the Bronx before this rescue group got their hands on her uh, just before she was actually euthanized at the pound. When I met her, the most terrified dog I'd ever encountered in my life, just everything frightened her but uh they they said just you know sit to the side let her come up to you make let's let's let her do it on her kind of her own time so i I went and sat down and she just walked straight to me sat in my lap and was like done (laughs) this this is my dog so that that kind of commenced a uh about a two-year transformation process it was she definitely tested my patience for quite a while between YouTube videos, articles, podcasts, you name it. I, I was looking after every resource I could find because so many of her, her quirks were so unique. You know, we overcame a lot of them, but even to this day, five years later, she's still got a bunch of uh, really weird things about her. Um, ultimately, though, you know, I got her when I lived in uh, New Jersey pretty urban area we wound up moving to las vegas and when i go out hiking in the mountains and in the surrounding area i was bringing her and uh really noticed she was like opening up um starting to kind of act like a dog funny enough <laughs> uh and like enjoying herself outside so you know i like i, I would kind of step up the difficulty for myself and she had no issues coming along and 
you know, eventually got to the point, like, I didn't even want to invite people to come hiking with me. I just liked going with her because she was the only person that could keep up with my pace and didn't complain. <laughs> and, you know, for quite a while, I had some friends encouraging me. They're like, you take all these pictures and stuff of her. Why don't you put it out there? And you know, I didn't even have an Instagram of myself. I was like, no, no. no. Um, but eventually I gave in and what happened after that was, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, I just started throwing a few pictures and videos out there and um, ultimately got some, some phone calls, some other like big social media organizations, I guess, that wanted to um, do some spotlights on her. And I guess it wasn't more than a few months after I had created her account. We had a couple of YouTube videos, I guess between three different YouTube videos hit about a hundred million views. And like, I, I, needless to say, I had the same reaction you just had, shaking my head. <laughs> How's it happening? Um, but I mean, it, it was it was genuine stuff. Like I wasn't forcing her into anything. Like I wasn't looking for my fifteen minutes. I was just like putting some photos and videos of my dog doing her thing out there, and people loved it. <laughs> so um, I've actually in, in a couple of days talking on another podcast. Uh, it's like an adventure dog podcast, and you know I've got some some other speaking engagements coming up over the next couple of months, bringing her along. But I gotta say, like when I first got her, I, I definitely had my doubts on whether I could kind of get her there, but man, the transformation she's undergone, it's like, it's mind blowing. It's, it's so amazing to hear. I I feel like it parallels your, your, uh, your travels and and your stories that go along with that, where it was something that, you know, I imagine that there wasn't probably a whole lot of a, a plan to have Penny transform into the dog that she is and, and become uh, Insta famous (laughs) and, uh, and have, (laughs) <laughs> all this this following online and it just kind of sounds like it's something that that happened just you know organically yeah yeah and I, and I think that that's I'd attribute the success to all her uh media I guess because of just how like how genuine and organic all the all the media was mm. and y- you could see that like it was authentic she was loving what she was doing and I think probably one of the most surreal times for me was I got on nationalgeographic.com and it's me and her right there on the homepage taking up the whole screen. And I just kind of sat back. It's like, Whoa, this is, this is really cool. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it is a pretty neat, uh, kind of like surreal sort of feeling to just to, to be looking at that and be like, you know, I, I don't don't think you expected any of that to happen. I was just going out and doing what I like doing. And yeah, I just, I happened to take a lot of pictures and videos along the way, just, just for myself. I had never posted any of it. And, and how cool you know, is that, that, that just by doing what you like doing, it seemed to be, become successful, which I think uh, hopefully kind of parallels the message of, of this whole podcast, right? Is yeah, kind of yeah. chasing, chasing your dreams, doing what you want to do. Uh, but, you know, I, I definitely want to come back and, and, and kind of wrap up um, the trip and, and get to where you're at today. But one question that's on my mind is these words of like genuine and caring and like sincerity, all those things keep coming up and use the word authentic. And I know it's such a buzzword nowadays and so many people use it, but I kind of want to get your thoughts on, on that word and, <clears throat> and maybe, maybe kind of what it means to you, because it seems like, you know, if anyone could have their, their picture next to a word in a dictionary, it, it'd probably be you and authentic. <laughs> Um, it, it was a journey to get there. Uh, like I said, you know, up until this trip, I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And that's the simplest way to put it. Um, while on the trip, there were like enormous, like, uh, 
changes in perspective occurring on what, what seemed like a daily basis. And, you know, earlier we spoke about, it's like, what in the world am I going to do when, when I get back? Um, as, as I kind of progressed through the trip, it was easier to like, kind of like naturally let that, uh, kind of come to fruition. And I, I got back in the States in February and a little, little bit of a tangent, like if had it not been for Penny, I don't know if I would have came back. Like the couple of times I came back to the U S she was definitely a huge part of the influence. She was, she was in good hands, um, spent time with friends and family while I was gone. So I, I felt perfectly like secure in her, her safety and well being. But, you know, had she not been in the picture, I, I'd probably still be overseas. <laughs> but, um, when I got back in February, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about what I wanted to be doing, where would I get the most reward, and again, like, stay true to those values of, like, happiness and helping others, and ultimately, where I've landed is, like, I, I, I want to make a career out of leadership consulting. I think back to the, you know, that reward I, I got leading the teams in my prior role, and, you know, like, the, the personal reward I felt uh, when I could see them um, do, doing better for themselves, and I want to do more of that. Definitely, definitely a daunting thing because you're not going to just go apply for a job to be a leadership consultant. This is something that's kind of got to be built from the ground up. So uh, right, right now, just using using some folks in my network, um, try, trying to kind of bring this to life. Um, and you know, you and I talked about this plenty over the last year. I've uh, talked about it with a lot of other people in the past year, but. You know, I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm really excited. Like, really dig my heels in on this because this is something I know that it's going to make me happy. I know it's going to bring happiness to others when when they can kind of start seeing those same changes occurring. And at the end of the day, like every ounce of a job like that goes towards helping others. That, that's exactly the space I want to be in. When you say the word authentic, it feels like, and you talk about how it's it's a transformation. And it's taken a while for you to you know to get to where you're at today it seems like you've reflected on your values and you keep looking back at, you keep looking well back and forward, I guess at where, where you've been and, and, and you, you're trying to use that to shape where you want to go. And so you've stumbled or maybe not stumbled. It's not the best word, but you've, you've landed on leadership consulting. And, and I got to say, it seems fitting since you and I met at a leadership conference <laughs> up at silver Bay, we got uh, stuck in the same room for uh, uh, however long that was, few few days, and got to know yeah. each other a bit there. What what do you think? Uh, I heard you say the word daunting, and you also use the word exciting. So if we could uh, take a second to look at that, I want to kind of know because there's this, this is really at the heart of what the podcast is about: is people feeling like you know they're on the edge of doing something, or they are doing something, and it's like figuring out how to handle everything that goes on behind the scenes and you just seem to all, it's almost seems like it happens naturally for you. Like you just, you know, push forward anyway. But I heard those two, that kind of like mixture of feelings that seem like opposites. And I'm kind of wondering like what's actually going on in your head. Yeah. I, I think you, you said it's almost acting. It's happening naturally. I, I think that's true for the first time in my, my adult life right now. But if I, if I go back to like when the trip started, there, there were quite a few times I was on different job sites and I was tempted to send in my resume, fill out the applications because I'm, I'm still like kind of quietly thinking in the back of my head, what am I going to do afterwards? 
and you know resisted that urge because I made a commitment it's like I'm not working right now I'm traveling I'm, I'm kind of doing my thing and you know a few months later down the road like that temptation was gone um kind of kind of getting more and more in tune with like the, I guess my authentic self I guess the best way to put it like I was I was able to start to think more clearly about what it is I wanted to be doing so now like it is a, a lot more natural um I'm able to say uh, I, not even saying no, I'm not even like thinking about opportunities that aren't going to uh, help fulfill those desires for happiness and helping others. So it, it's going to be slow going for a little while, I think. Um, but also because I am so passionate about getting into this line of work, I think that that passion is going to show to who, whatever potential clients I'm speaking to. And I, I think getting this thing off the ground, it, it's going to happen. It's just going to take a little bit more patience, but it's the first time in my life I'm, I'm not really worried about that or the first time in my career, I should say. It's like the, the opportunities will come um, as long as I kind of stay true to the passion. Yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, what, what was striking to me is how comfortable you are in an uncomfortable situation of having all of that uncertainty kind of, you know, hanging, hanging above your head. And what I feel like I'm hearing you explain to kind of uh, sort through the situation and to get to, to try to get it more practical for people that are listening is that you're really holding tight to your values and kind of using them to pull you through whatever circumstances or situations and like you still have maybe if something feels daunting it might be a little scary but also like you know if, if something's uncertain or un, you know you're unsure of kind of where you're headed um you might have those temptations to, to grab something a little more secure like that, you know, that nine to five or hand in the resume. Uh, but it just, it, to me, it, it feels like you're just holding on to your values to carry you through. That, that's it. And staying true to that, like it, it presents a, a freedom I haven't had. So, you know, l- last week I was uh, working with, with a partner organization, help, helping with the facilitation of a leadership, uh, a, a leadership session. Um, which, which was great. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, these, these speaking engagements I'll be going to with my dog where we'll be talking about um, the, the psychologically like the impact having a dog can have in your life, talking about animal welfare and what you should do if you're looking to get a dog and uh, spoiler alert, go to a rescue group. <laughs> uh, but like the, these engagements are things I would have had to have said no to before. Um you know, I'm, I'm on a few week contract uh, in Las Vegas right now, which I'll be wrapping up soon. And I don't really know what I'm doing after I, you know, we, we've got a family business, a family restaurant back in Georgia. And I, I've told my family, you know, I want to come back and work for a couple of weeks there to help give them a couple extra days of vacation. And like, like this, this flexibility, it, it's unlike anything I've had really ever because whether you're talking about uh, high school you're talking about college the career like you, you never have the opportunity to kind of go go do what feels right at that at any particular time and that, that's what I'm definitely loving about right now man there's so many things I wish we could keep we could keep chatting about and and, and diving into and exploring uh, because this is all it's all good stuff and it's uh it's super I mean just exciting and entertaining to listen to some of the stories that you had too, with everything that you've done in the past couple of years, really since, uh, since you and I have met, but, uh, <laughs> we're winding down on time. So, uh, it's about that time of the show where I ask some rapid fire questions, kind of burn, burn through some and going to keep that segment going as long as we can. And, 
yeah and then we'll we'll, we'll wrap up how's that sound to you perfect let's do it <laughs> uh all right so go on just i guess we'll, we'll go off of where we we were just at what was the hardest part of adjusting or readjusting to work life uh after coming back from your 319 day uh vacation i think it was answering why i was doing it uh but you, you go back for financial reasons uh I, I think that'd be true for most people and you know to, to a degree i did need to come back and, and start building the bank account again but that that's what i was struggling with is why am i doing this especially the the type of work i was doing on, on that first contract it wasn't the leadership consulting. It was more technically based work. And I, I think that that was a lesson I had to teach myself at that time. It's like, I know what I want to be doing, but I, I got to stay, I got to stay true to that. You know, maybe, maybe a couple of jobs here and there that I, I, I segue from that. But um, that, that's the big part is now that I'm back, I'm going to, I'm adjusting to work and I got to make sure I stay true to why. Staying true to the why. That sounds like a common theme throughout, throughout this episode. Um, Going, going, sticking with the travel stuff for a second. Uh, what is the favorite country uh, that you visited? Um, I'll, I'll give you two because I'm not going to pick one. New Zealand is stunning. Um, the South Island in particular is one of the most incredibly diverse uh, uh, landscapes you'll, you'll ever encounter. Um, absolutely incredible to just go camp around, spend a few weeks doing it. I'd say the second one would be Vietnam. And more so than anything else, it's because of how I did Vietnam. Uh, I think the second day there, I went and bought a scooter, um, an old 110cc Yamaha. I wound up driving that 6,000 miles between Vietnam and Cambodia. It topped out at about 40 miles per hour. So that you <laughs> how long I was on it, but it was just me and my backpack and for the, for the bulk of that. And wound up doing about two and a half months in salt every square inch of Vietnam and the list of experiences in Vietnam in particular, just like it, it, it blows my mind even thinking back to it. It was so, so cool. So anybody wanting to go to any of these countries, by the way, I took a tremendous amount of notes all along the way. So you don't even have to plan. I can just hand you my notes. You go follow the dots. Ooh, that I might even take you up on that myself. Cause that sounds pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, especially for New, New Zealand and Vietnam. Uh, for people who, you know, people are just listening, but, uh, if they take a look at your, uh, little clip on, on our Instagram page, they'll see that you are uh, pretty tatted up. What was your, what was your first tattoo and why'd you get it? Um, the tattoo correlates very closely with, uh, the whole rest of the theme of this podcast, I guess. So I've got, I don't know if the video will go up, but my whole arm's done and, Theme of the arm is time is short, so you'll see uh, various uh, connections between every image on my arm and, and I guess time being short. So what what inspired it more than anything is that you know I mentioned my my best friend dying a couple of years ago. Um, the number of funerals I've been to at at my age is pretty unnerving. I've, I've lost I've lost a lot of friends. You know, a pallbearer to a twelve year old. It's just been I, I had to learn pretty quickly, I guess, how to respond to all these because when it, when it seemed like I was going to a uh, funeral of uh, some someone that died well, well sh- uh, short of when they should have, um, you you got to make sense of it one way or another. So, you know, the tattoo was that that was one way to pay homage. Um, going on the trip was another, but I think just 
my overall mindset, you know, I've derived a lot from, from the friends that I've lost. So not, not going to definitely not escaping my thoughts anytime soon. Hmm. That's, that, there's a lot of meaning packed in there. It's, it's pretty powerful. And I, I love when there's a, a strong message behind, you know, something like that, uh, which honestly, it seems like the strong message behind almost every, <laughs> everything that you do. Uh, last rapid fire question though. What is your number one travel tip? Who? that's a tough one. Um, no, no. So I'm going to get back to the why part yet again. So, so know why you're, you're at where you're at, know why you want, you're doing whatever you're doing. And that, that's going to help you find the most immersive experience. So if it's about meeting people or helping animals or seeing, seeing just cool landscapes, um, make sure you're thinking about that part first. And I, I guarantee you're gonna, you're going to be able to dive in a little deeper and kind of connected to that. I don't know if they're connected or not, but another key piece of advice is stay at hostels. They got, they got a, maybe not the greatest reputation because of the movies, but the sheer number of people you meet from every, every inch of the earth, like they're going to have so much advice for you because they've been, somebody's inevitably been to that place you want to go. And when you tell them why you're traveling, they're going to be able to give you, um, they're going to be able to tell you exactly where to go next. I think those are two solid pieces, <laughs> two solid pieces of advice. Definitely should help out with the uh, planning stages. But as we've heard, maybe you don't need to plan so much to have a, <laughs> to have a successful uh, about that. trip. Well, I have two final questions for you. But before we get to that, I do want to take a moment to say thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. And thanks for sharing. I mean, th- thank you for a lot of things. Thanks for everything that you that you're working on. I think that you set a really strong example, uh, positive example for so many but it just seems like you're involved. Like you, there's 25 hours in the day in your world. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how you get everything done, but, uh, but thanks for coming on the show and sharing everything. And, and I, I wish that um, we could, we could spend an entire episode or maybe a, a whole season's worth of episodes, just hearing all the stories that you, you've accumulated. Uh, Cause I think it seems like you have a pretty strong message, like I said, behind each one. So, uh, so thanks for that. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity coming on. It's it's fun to reflect on all this, and it you know it also forces me to like take take my own advice, I guess. So you know, ho- hopefully, I can get an invite to come back later. And hopefully, go do cool stuff over the next several months and have some other new stories to share. Absolutely, yeah. Well, uh, hold your feet to the fire. Last two questions. The first is if just after everything you've 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 talked about, I, I'm I'm not really sure where you, where you'll come from uh, for answering this one, but you know, with your trip and your, and your travels and your transition out of corporate into what you're doing now. Uh, I'm super curious to know for you and you personally, what, what your definition of, of success is. It's amazing how that's changed. Like my answer now is so much different than what it would have been before. But, you know, for, for me now, success is, it's living a life where I can mostly stay true to those values that are most important to me. And, you know, it, I think it's, it's tough to kind of quantify maybe for, for everyone to, to really understand what those values are. So I'd encourage you to just like jump online and kind of go through some of those exercises. I've done everyone I can find online because I had, again, it's that natural curiosity. But, you know, for me, I've got to I've got to stay happy. I've got to be helping others and I need to be on some kind of exciting adventure and wherever I can kind of get all those in one. Um, that, that's where I know I'm, I'm living a successful life for me. I love it. 
I think that's uh, pretty compact and and easy enough to digest and also applicable for for pretty much everyone listening. So uh, if people want to continue listening and uh, pick up on some of the stories that you have and and those notes that you mentioned, uh, where where can people follow along? Where can they connect with you and reach out? Um. I, I'm an open book, so I'll be the absolutely easiest way is my email. So my personal email, Blaine, B-L-A-I-N-E dot DeLuca, D-E-L-U-C-A at Gmail. And I, I, I used to be hesitant about doing what I just did. Um, but, you know, when, when I created these accounts for my, for my dog, I kind of opened up in the same way. And it's unbelievable some of the sh- uh, stories I've got to share. Um, two other folks' stories that have been shared with me strictly through our connection, our common connection of owning a dog. Um, so in- anyway, I can help anybody else with traveling, making a decision to travel, um, that, that daunting decision of maybe walking away from work for a little bit. Um, ha- happy to provide as much insight as I can. I love that you have that that uh, direct path to to reach out to you. Not not everybody does that. So uh, people listening, um, we'll see if if uh, they can get some glean some value from from all of the, the experience and insights that you have. And actually, for people who um, maybe are maybe a little more introverted or or uh, whatever the case may be, and they're just on social media, is there anywhere that they could they could find you on there and kind of see what you're doing? Yeah, if you look up my name on on Facebook or Instagram, um, I'm the only Blaine DeLuke out there, as far as I know. Um, so it'll be pretty easy to find me. Um, and then, of course, Penny Dog. Um, so if you look up her Instagram, love to have you follow along there too. But um, between the email, the social media accounts, um, you can get to see. You'll see who I am, what I'm all about. Hopefully, it reiterates everything I've been uh, talking about the past hour. But uh, love to make some new connections. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that is Penny with an I, P-E-N-N-I, I think. And uh, uh, I'll make sure everything uh, that you just mentioned is is listed in the show notes as well for people, which uh, you can find at the website, uh, theventurelife.com. And uh, yeah, man, awesome having you on. I, I really appreciate you taking the time out to, to join us on, on the Venture Life podcast. Yeah, man. Always a pleasure. Blaine is quickly becoming one of my favorite human beings, and I hope some of what he said resonated with you. I mean, he's so right when he said that life is short. It might be a common theme for this show if you've heard some of our past guests who experienced loss or a life-altering event, but it doesn't have to be like that. You don't have to have some big tragic event to decide to go after what you really care about. And I think what makes Blaine really stand out, at least for me, is his willingness to actually follow through and, and make those scary choices. But I digress. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to hear what you thought about today's episode. Instagram or Facebook at The Venture Life is the easiest way to get in touch with me or the rest of the listeners and the guests. But otherwise, the best compliment you can give me would be to share this episode with a friend or someone who just really needs to hear it. So please do reach out say hello and keep an eye out for our next episode where I get to speak with the owner of Heart and Soul Consulting. It's truly an incredible conversation that you won't want to miss. But until then, maybe just ask yourself, what are the scary choices that you aren't making?